Good morning, friends. How are you today? It's good to see you. Now, I want to know who is responsible for this. <laughs> who? I, seriously. Did you really? Yeah. R- Ravi. This is, this is like, there's manna from heaven, you know, there's water that came out of the rock, and there's Fiji that came out of Ravi. So, man, I'm going to cherish this. This is beautiful. Evian, you, te- you go down here. You go way down here. It's good stuff. If you don't know what all that means, you need to be live streaming, right? Because that means you missed a couple weeks ago. So let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we, uh, we are so grateful to be able to meet, to be able to uh, gather together as a, as a growing family. Lord, I know there's some folks in here that may not feel like they're actually part of this family, and maybe not. Maybe they're traveling through, but they feel like family to us, even if they're here just for a day. Lord, it's just uh, it's something that you can do. It's something that this earth so desperately is seeking for, which is a sense of meaning and purpose and connection. And Lord, we try to do it through social media and other ways, but Lord, we know through your spirit we can meet somebody for the very first time and, and our spirits join in Christ, and it's an amazing thing. So uh, we thank you for that. And we also always invite your Holy Spirit to be with us as we navigate our way through this continuing little series here on the Exodus template. Lord, give us ears to hear today. Lord Jesus, you constantly confronted your audience. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Father, I pray that we would, as a family, hear your voice clearly as it would apply to each of our lives, uniquely to each of our lives. Lord, no burden this morning, no condemnation in this message, but liberty and freedom and peace that you offered. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it's an exciting day. I know many of you are going to be with us uh, at our little living desert uh, shindig, and I'll tell you that it's going to be a great one. I know Constance and her team have been working very diligently, and we're excited to have you. If you got in late or weren't looking at your missives or somehow didn't get a ticket or you got on the waiting list, I think we got most of the folks who are on the waiting list in, but if you can't do it this next time, just make sure. We're going to miss you there, but make sure, and we'll, we'll continue to grow. It's hard to get much over 250 people and get a venue that's appropriate and all that, so uh, that's going to be exciting. Today's going to be a full day for me. I'm going to preach two services, and then I'm going to a memorial, and then I'm coming at a memorial, and then I sneak over to the living desert, and I'm there with you, and and going to do that, and then maybe even slip back over to a reception for the memorial after the deal. So I'll get home sometime late this night. So uh, uh, be praying for me, just that there would be strength and that, that God would shine through the whole thing. So I appreciate that. Are you ready to proceed here? Uh, I, I'm telling you, this morning, I've been excited about this this week. Uh, I get my outlines to Pete usually by Friday, sometimes Saturday. This week, I was really ahead of schedule. I got it into him on Wednesday, and he didn't know what was going on. It felt very uncomfortable for him. He was completely out of his element. And, and so what happened is, uh, of course, I give it to him on Wednesday, and then 8,000 thoughts begin to emerge in my head over the time, and then I readapt and readapt and readapt. And I think he's like, just send it to me on Saturday. be fine. So, so uh, we're going to continue this morning. You know, we started this really out of uh, Psalm 96, and I'm just going to read a portion of that to you, Psalm 96, which leads us to this conceptual idea. Some of us understand it very well, and some of us, but some of us haven't really walked into it, not to the fullness that we need to. It's the Great Commission, really, um, really embedded in the Great Commandment. We've been talking about that for a number of weeks now. Uh, back to Psalm 96 was kind of our launching point. I'm just going to read a couple things, uh, a couple of verses. Verse 3, Psalm 96, 3, tell of his glory 
among the nations. I mean, that's essentially it's going to, what we're going to be talking about next week. I mean, how do we as a missional community really talk about the glory of Jesus and do it? And so this whole idea of privatized religion just doesn't fly. It just, it's, just not, it's not biblical. It may be the culture that you grew up in. It may be your denominational that you grew up in. It's really for the, you know, leave that to the experts. We're just, you know, pew sitters. And no, it's, we're to tell it to the nations, all of us. And that's what makes us, I know it's a difficult word to understand because it's been so politicized, but it's what makes me an evangelical. I want to evangelize. And I'm, not, I'm unashamed and I'm unabashed. Now, on my way here this morning, I, I stopped to get uh, the inferior water here. And uh, I was a little bit late anyway. I said, I just feel like I need to go in there. I don't know why. And, um, and I pulled in and there was a young lady that she was uh, sitting outside. And she didn't ask me for any money, but you could tell she was probably not doing too well. She wasn't, she wasn't dressed in rags or anything, but she was just kind of sitting there, and I asked her, I said, how are you doing? And she said, well, I'm, you know, I'm not doing, not, not doing that well. And, and I wished I had an hour. I wish my wife was with me. I, I'm reluctant to, you know, engage uh, young women uh, by myself. But uh, I, I just felt, I got back in the car, and I pulled out some money and went back over to her. And, and I just stopped, and I told her, I said, you know, God, young, young lady, I said, God has a plan for your life. And I said, even the trauma that you may have been through will not negate his plan. In fact, he'll use it to your benefit. And she, she looked at me and it was, you know, you could tell there was something that penetrated beyond, hey, I'm out here hoping somebody's going to throw a little money at me. Maybe it's her addiction. Maybe it was an addiction. I don't know. Maybe she actually was really hungry. I have no idea. But you could tell, you know, that is just a small part. Of course, there's part of me as a pastor that wants to, you know, kind of scoop her up, put her in the car, bring her here, you know, hand her over to some of you ladies who could love her and nurture her. And, you know, all that went on. But I knew it was just, just going to be a small role that I played in that moment. Maybe I'll see her again and maybe that'll be able, that'll happen. But, um, you know, it broke my heart. But it's really much part of this. Tell of his glory among the nations. That's just part of it. I didn't have time to sit down and talk to her for two or three hours and talk to her about the God that loves her. I didn't have that time, but I'm hoping that just that one little sliver, that's all part of that. His wonderful deeds among all the people, and again, that word in the Hebrew is goyim, says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And here's the part we're going to get to today. He is to be feared above all gods. Now, that's not to suggest there are competing gods. Or we discussed this. This word in the uh, Hebrew, again, excuse me, Hebrew, if I said Greek a minute ago, Hebrew is Elohim, and it can mean divine ruler, it can mean, you know, idols, it can mean all that, it can has a, a number of different meanings. I don't know so much about idols, but uh, other gods, which essentially are, or even angels. Um, and then it goes on to say, he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. And that's Elil in the, in the Hebrew again, which just means worthless. They're just non-entities. These gods that are set up as idolatry, idolatries, they're just non, non-entities. And then it says, but the Lord made the heavens. In other words, okay, there's a juxtaposition here. There's, there's these, well, there's these idols that we bow down to. And then there's the God, and then he justifies, he speaks to this God and the attributes. He, he says this, basically, he says this is... This is intelligent design. There's a force behind the creation. He's the one who spoke the heavens into existence. Now, if you believe that, by the way, that alone is a massive game changer in the way you think about life and reality. 
You really can't be passive. You can, I mean, let's be honest. You can't be passive. God made the heavens. He spoke everything to an existence. There's purpose for me. He knows me. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows, he knows everything about me. He, he's designed and, and crafted a way for me to fit into this go tell the nations scenario. Oh, he's God, but I'm not that interested in it. I mean, those are just, they don't go together. You just don't, either don't believe that or it, you've got to have that all-in mentality. I was listening to a, a doctor this week, and he was talking about that he had been told by his doctor that he had an all-in mentality. In other words, he, he realized that he had been overweight, and he weighed about, you know, X amount of pounds, and, and he wasn't and he was suffering from this, and and. He realized his doctor says, I don't have any concerns about you because you're all in on everything else. You'll be all in on this too. And he did. And he's lost 95 pounds in the first eight months. And now he's working out with a trainer and doing box jumps and things in his 60s. I mean, he's just, he has an all in mentality. This doesn't leave any room, wiggle room. I mean, either God spoke the heavens into existence and he has an, there's an intimate way monotheistically, not only monotheistically, but he knows you and through the person of Jesus. And you just can't casually adapt to that. I mean, your Christianity can't just be a casual, I'm a Christian. What does that even mean? You, and that's pretty much the language of Jesus. You're either all in, you follow me, you, and you're, you know, sell all, do whatever. I mean, he told the rich young ruler that basically you're just pushing all your chips in. It can't, this idea in the Western culture that there can be wiggle room, that Jesus just never left us that option. And Psalm 96, written a good thousand years, really never left us that option as well. So, how do we walk this walk out? And we've been talking about this. We come out of Egypt. We go through our baptism. I want to start here this morning. First of all, just first of all, let's define idolatry. So what actually is idolatry? Idolatry essentially is when we deify something in the seen realm. And when by deifying it, when we deify something, we look to it for provision. Now, that just doesn't mean food and money and housing. It means much more than that. Fulfillment, contentment, everything. We, we ascribe to anything we deify the ability, essentially, to provide what we need in this life, what, what we crave, what we desire, what we think is going to give us that ultimate high. When we make things ultimate, we deify them, and essentially, that's idolatry. For them, it might have been a, a, a golden calf in the wilderness or as we'll see in a little bit, the Asherah or the Baals or the Baals. It can be pronounced both ways. Uh, that's what they would do. But it was essentially, there was a root to that. And we want to look at this morning. We're going to talk about this idea that the gods of the peoples, well, they're idols. They're meaningless and worthless. And I'm going to go into it a little bit deeper. I, I do a men's group on Thursday mornings. And uh, one of our elders was there, and he said, you know, why don't you develop this a little bit more fully? And so I decided to. So that's some of the context that we're going to look at this morning before we get back into where we're going. So I want to do that. I alluded to it in a group this week, and I want to get into it a little bit more deeply. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 13, back to our Exodus template. This is very interesting, very interesting insight here. So they had just, uh, the Pharaoh had says, okay, get out of the land, you know, and there's a whole nother teaching in that too, how they got out. He, he allowed them to go a little ways or stay in the land and sacrifice to your gods or go out and sacrifice and then come back. And, you know, that's just what Satan does. You know, don't get too all in on this Christianity business. Be careful, you know, because, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to wilt out there in the wilderness, this Christian business, and he'll put all kinds of pictures in your mind about what Christians are, and they're usually not accurate, what Satan would do. Exodus chapter 13, 
Now they could have, if you know the area, you know the Mediterranean, so you look at the African continent and that northeastern portion is Egypt, Goshen back then, and then they were, they could have just gone right around the horn of the Mediterranean there and gone right up and they're in Israel, right, just right there, which would, for them at that time was the promised land and it was the land flowing with milk and honey. They could have made that immediate journey right there. And then we read in uh, chapter 13, verse 17, it says, now when Pharaoh had let the people go, and why? Well, this is Exodus 13, what happened in Exodus 12, it's the very name of church at the red door. It's apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of your house. That was the final straw. They were passed over in judgment. It was a picture of the gospel that would come 1,500 years later. That's why we are church at the red door. When Pharaoh had let the people go because of Exodus 12, which was predictive of Jesus. So Jesus has come into their life figuratively, okay, as a template. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. That's the easy route. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. So if we had a map, and I'm sorry I should have done that for you this week, Mediterranean would be here. Here's Israel. Those of you who have been right there on that, just this little tiny, in some places from the West Bank to the Mediterranean, it's only 25 miles apart, across. Now, that wasn't all the land that had been originally promised uh, under this Abrahamic covenant, but it was the land that we know as Israel today. And here's, of course, Africa and Egypt. And they could have said, whoosh, right up there. But the Philistines were here. Modern-day Gaza Strip. You hear a lot about the Gaza Strip today. In fact, even in this last week, I got a, I got a text from the president of Israel College of the Bible and says, hey, can we talk? And I haven't responded to him yet. But they're, you know, they're, they've been having a lot of missiles going back and forth between this Gaza conflict. Well, that's where the Philistines were. And so they would go right through there and, and on up, and then they were in the prom promised land. I mean, that was it. That would have been, but the Lord didn't want them to do it because they knew they would see these powerful forces, and they weren't trained for war. Why do you go through your baptism if you've been baptized? Why do you go through your baptism and then go into the wilderness for training, for testing, so the Lord can scrutinize you, so he can go through, well, he already knows what's in your heart, but we learn what's in our heart. And oftentimes we find powerful forces, not too dissimilar from the Philistines, that actually are living on the inside of us. And that's what we might call an idolatrous heart. Job chapter 23, verse 10, listen to the language here. Again, referencing, he says, he, he knows the way I take, the journey, my path. He, God knows that. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you recognize your life that some of the most loving things God can ever do is bring what you would appear like, where's God? I don't understand where God is. And God's actually taking you through a place of great scrutiny. That word actually there, bakan in the Hebrew, actually means to test or prove or to scrutinize, to investigate. God's investigating your heart. He already knows what's in there, but it's, it's reflect, it helps us to begin to understand it. And I don't care how long you've been going to church. We all, ha we all have pockets where we still cling to things, and we cling to them, uh, and they sometimes want to usurp, and they want to rise above uh, God and his ultimate. Now, we wouldn't say that, but we realize the conflict in us, things, desires, passions, lusts, to, to use the biblical language, constantly arising. And let me tell you, if... If you have idolatry, if there's anything in your life, anything in your life 
that you are terrified that if, if I lose this, then, and it's just a horrific situation, even a spouse, even a child, even, you know, death, cancer, something, anything, a financial collapse or whatever it is, food, it can be anything. If I were to lose that, then my life, is, my life would be a catastrophe. Can, can you walk in liberty if that's a feeling? I, I, remember this, idolatry leads to slavery every single time. Idols in our heart lead to slavery. So is it, is it unfair, is it unloving of God to begin to pull out the idolatry in our heart, recognizing we're not ready for war, right? First you believe. Remember our little template here? First you believe, then you belong, then you become, and then you build. They're not ready to build. There's too much in their heart. I have to scrutinize, investigate. I have to try them, and when they are at the completion of that time in the wilderness, they will come out as pure gold. He knows our ways, folks. He knows our journey, knows our path. Intimately. He knows it intimately. So when I spoke to that young woman, I said, the Lord has, God has a plan for your life this morning. I meant it with all of my heart. Will she make it out of Egypt? Will she make it through the wilderness? Might she one day be a, a significant part of the building of the kingdom of God in whatever capacity that might be? I don't know. But we're to tell it to the nations. So let's ask, what ultimately was Israel's call? Well, their call was to come out of Egypt and then go into the land and do what? We'll take it. But there's even a stronger word here. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. Listen to the language here. Again, this is Moses' retrospective after having been in the wilderness all this time and going back and recounting their history. It says, the eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you and said, destroy. Now, we recognize that if this is your first day, you're going to be thinking, what is he talking about? We recognize, and just as, and I need to say this every week as we go through this template so people aren't confused. Remember, they were given a physical a task in a physical realm with a physical people. We are given the same task in a spiritual realm against spiritual forces of weakness. So when it says destroy, we're not destroying anybody physically anymore. That was just a template. It was a momentary time in, in history that Israel was called to destroy these forces. Not only the idols in high places, the external things, the, the nations that were sacrificing their children and all this other, and not only that, but they were also to destroy, well, the internal idols that were in their hearts because the idols on the exterior were just a reflection of the idols that were on the interior the high places of our own hearts, those places that we deify, that we say, if only I have this, then I will be happy, be cautious. If I can just achieve this lifestyle, if I can just achieve this amount of money, if I can just achieve this weight, if I can just achieve this, whatever it is, these amount of travel and vacations, everything, be cautious. And don't be surprised if you feel like you're climbing towards that and God keeps kind of feeling almost like he's pulling you back from some of these desires, this most loving thing he can possibly do. He will not allow idolatry to emerge in your heart as a follower of Jesus. Why? Because he knows that it only enslaves. His task for you, his task for me, his task for this church in this valley, destroy internally and externally, not physical people. 
not physical people. <clears throat> We've alluded to this many times before, but the Great Commission is the out external part. It's where we take the good news, the gospel, Jesus loves you, he died for you. He wants you to become part of this family. Not just Church at the Red Door, the, the global family of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's an external thing. We're not destroying physical people. And let's just see it again. We, we, we've looked at this. I've quoted it many times. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, I mean, there's flesh here. You can, we can, we can, we can give you a hug afterwards. You can, there's flesh there. But we don't war according to the flesh. It's not what we do. Our destruction, what we're trying to destroy is not human beings. We're trying to save human beings that live under slavery. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. It's prayer, you know, it's prayer. This, this, this is well prayed for. Are we praying for this service? Are we praying for you? Are, we praying? are you praying? Yes. That's part of it, and the word, etc. But it's divinely powerful for the destruction, destroy, for the destroying of fortresses. The Lord has always said, go in and destroy. What was the Land of promise, it was a place where enemies dwelled. Same thing for us. This valley is a place where spiritual forces of wickedness dwell, and we are called to destroy it. What are we destroying? We are destroying speculations. We're destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is a, this is a war of words, and this is powerful. It's a living, active two-edged sword, if you will, metaphorically. And we take this into a culture that is dying, that wants to marginalize us, that wants us to keep us quiet, wants to put us in the closet, don't speak, don't say, in every public sphere and every, everywhere. And it's all around us. You can go to a party, talk about anything you want. Talk about Colin Kaepernick and his workout yesterday. Talk about anything you want. Just don't talk about God. Why? Do you understand? It is the antidote. Jesus is the antidote. And that's our task. Are we going to rise to that task? I'm asking you that question. Because if we're not as a church going to rise to that task, I think there are many on the team and otherwise that just say, I'm just not that interested in this anymore. If we're not fundamentally missional, a desire to see dead people come to life, then I don't know how engaged I can possibly be. I Again, we appointed an elder recently, and he told, he told me the same thing. He said, Jeff, I'm just too late in my life. He goes, this is, you know, I, this, is, this is me. I want to run through the tape, man. I want to finish strong. And I, I will come on and be an elder at Church at the Red Door, but not, as, not if we're not missional, not if we get inward focused about our own practices and religious practices. Not that that's, there's not a time for that. There is. It's beautiful. We come together. But if we're not always focused outside and looking out to take what we've had and bring in dead people and see them come to life, I don't know that I want to be an elder at church at the Red Door. And right there at Starbucks along Washington, I wanted to stand on my feet and just start clapping. And I said, I want you as an elder. I want, I want everybody that has that mentality of seeing dead people come to life. That's, that's the very core of who we are. So I've, I've tried, you know, Pastors try to come up with something catchy, you know, sorry, sometimes it's weak, but there is the great commission, right, that we have. That's on the external. That's the gospel going out, and that's what we're called, to destroy speculations and every lofty thought, philosophies that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. But there's also the great demolition. 
And that happens on the inside of us. And if we're not prepared for war, if what we're going in to destroy resides on the inside of us, how does that work? If we're going into a culture that's enslaved by greed and money and fame and, you know, just leisure time and all that other kind of stuff and all those idols still reside in me, how effective am I going to be? There is an external destroying and that must be preceded by an internal destroying. Why? They're waging war against our own souls. Listen to the language of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. Epithumia is the Greek word there. It's just craving, it's desire, it's this longing. If I just have that, if I can just get to that place in life, then I will be satisfied. He said, these fleshly desires, cravings, which wage war against your soul. Why didn't he let them just come out of Egypt and just make their way right in? You know, one of the biggest mistakes you'll ever make in any camp, and I've been in parachurch for a long time. Parachurch just means ministry outside the local church with links. And many of you know, I'm still, still act president uh, of links. And so we have 250 to 300 groups all around the country that meet on an ongoing basis and regional directors. Some of you know that, some of you don't. It doesn't matter that you know that. I'm just saying that we, when we go in, we have to see people. And people will come and have a, a, a transformative experience in Jesus and then they say, oh, he was really successful in business or she was really successful in business and therefore they can build the kingdom of God. And then they put them on their boards and they put them in this and they are completely ill-prepared to work in an unseen realm war. And they, they act as if it's just business as usual. And I, it's been my task for years with boards. All, you know, I serve on various boards. I have boards of my own, et cetera, even this church, to always be loving and discipling and saying we cannot act just as if this is a seen realm company. There are some things that apply, but many things don't. How do we walk according to this template and not deviate, it, deviate from it and hear his voice when we move? If you have somebody unprepared for war and you bring them into a position of leadership, what are you doing? You're guaranteeing the failure of your mission and vision. There, he, let's read it again. When the Pharaoh had let the people go, he led them by the way that did not. Why? Even though it was near, it's, it's, it's easy. You know, we got this guy successful, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he'll get some money into the operation. You know, we, nobody wants to admit that, but it's... And the people might change their minds when they see war. They're, they're not prepared for war. They, haven't, they still have idols in their own hearts. Be careful. And that, that goes from children's ministry to hospitality. All across the board, all of our teams, we appoint humble people that have been what? Tested and tried and scrutinized and investigated and are coming out as pure gold. And do you think it's easy in the wilderness? No. They've gone through some surgery that has been horrific in their own hearts. They still love other things. In fact, they'll, they'll allow other things to come into the way of their own calling, their own use of their own gift, their own use of their own resources, their own use of their own time. Because if I don't get that, then I won't be happy. And they cannot see that Jesus can make you happy. So if God begins to eliminate things in your life, your health and otherwise, to allow you to recognize that Jesus is all you need when Jesus is all you have. Is that 
is that God not loving you? It's the most loving thing he could possibly do. And boy, is that an upside-down realm. I want to take you back to a story. Now, again, although I would consider this a template, it's not the Exodus template, but it's what we looked at last week. And I want to read you, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story for Mr. Elijah. Not, not his full story, but the next step in his story. And it dealt with idolatry. Now, again, Elijah's living well after the time of the king. So the kings were around. Remember, let's try to get our timeline for those of you. Abraham was about 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. Moses was about 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. The kings began, Solomon, Saul first, and then David, and then Solomon, and then the split uh, happened around 1,000 years before the time of Jesus. And Elijah was uh, acting as an acting prophet sometime during the course uh, when the northern tribes were still operating before they were uh, assimilated by and wiped out essentially by the Assyrians and assimilated into the surrounding culture. This would have been about the time, and it was a, a guy named Ahab. And we hear a lot about Ahab. And he had been, he was a wicked king, and he was setting up uh, idolatry. And as we saw last week, what did Elijah do? He'd prophesied a drought because God had commanded him to. He went out, he was provided by this brook, Kerith, Kerith, and it was in the, in the wilderness, and what happened? He, he was provided for by God, and he was in the wilderness, and at a certain point, the brook dried up. He said, you need to cross the Jordan, and that's what he did, and he began his ministry. This was part of the ministry that was enacted by him. This was his call to get out of the wilderness and go back in and begin to, again, you see the template emerging over and over in the Old Testament. We should learn from this, folks. Jesus went into the wilderness, came back, crossed the Jordan. Israel was in the wilderness, came back. Elijah was in the wilderness, came back. John the Baptist was in the wilderness, grew up in the wilderness, and then came out and began his ministry. Are you following me? This is our journey as well. It's not unique to some biblical patriarchs. It is our journey. I hope you're beginning to graft that into your soul. 1 Kings chapter 18, what's the story? Well, let's read it. Verse 20, so Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Now, what's happening? Well, Elijah had challenged him. He'd come back. He had, he had appeared because the brook dried up. Now he's in his calling. So first thing he does is he goes to confront, to destroy what's in the land. The same calling we have in this valley. Destroy these speculations and these philosophies and that all these things that raise themselves up against God. This is, we can learn something from this. We want to do that here in the valley. We can learn something here. Are you with me? Wake up your neighbor. Verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people. Now, we're going to go deep here. He came to all the people. Because so, so the children of Israel around, right? They are idolaters. They're worshiping the Asherah, and they're worshiping Baal, and they're, they've set up some of these things on the high places, up on the mountaintops. High places can sometimes occasionally refer to something that's not on a mountain, but generally they're up, they're elevated. That's what we do. We elevate people and things and desires to primacy, to an ultimate place, pinnacle. That's what they had done. Then he says this, catch this, how long will you hesitate between two opinions. What's Elijah really saying? Why, why aren't you all in? The God of Abraham and our forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We worship you, we serve you, but we also love the high places. Who was who were Asherah? Who was that? It was a Phoenician goddess that had been adopted pretty much by the Canaanites. And what was she a goddess of? 
murder and theft. No. Seemed pretty good. She was the goddess of fortune and happiness. Isn't it even in our constitution, the pursuit of happiness? Who doesn't want that? We'll pursue it. See, they, they would actually take this Canaanite goddess and put her up on a high place. And, but they weren't just into just, we just want to worship gold and silver and stone. They, they wanted what? They want what we still want in the 21st century. Fortune and happiness. I love it when my 401k plummets. 2008 was wonderful. No, we want to see it go up. We want to see everything. We want fortune and happiness because ultimately if we have a little bit more, just a little bit more, somehow we will be happy. They're not just, they're, the, the human heart was the same today, is the same today as it was back then. So don't distance yourself too much from the Asherah. Well, that's an ancient, stupid people who are ignorant. No, it's still there for us. How long will you limp between these two opinions? No, it says hesitate. Well, actually, in the Hebrew, interesting, very interesting, pasak is actually means to limp. It can mean to leap, but it also can mean to limp. So what he's really saying here, I heard John Piper say this once. He said, so what he's really saying is, why are you limping between these two opinions? Look, if you get stuck somewhere in the middle, if you're not all in, you're like, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get involved, you know, a little bit, a little bit, as long as it doesn't affect my lifestyle at all and doesn't dislodge any idols that might be in my heart, as long as it's not that. I, but what happens is when you're going back and forth, you're hesitating, you're really limping. You know, you're, you're forever crippled if you're not all in. That's what he's saying here. I know it to be true in my own life. And even as a pastor, there are places, well, but I just don't want to go that far. I just, you know, I can't say that. I don't want to be that strong. I don't want to be. And then I find myself suddenly, you know, Limping. I was physically limping, and there were places in my walk that I have spiritually limped between two opinions. As if the Lord is God, follow him. If he's the creator of all heaven and earth, and he's spoken into existence, and he really knows everything about you, and he created you with purpose, why are you still gravitating back to the high places, the ultimate things, looking for satisfaction? He says, follow him, but if, if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So you might want to say amen so you don't find yourself. No. Thank you. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. By the way, they, in 1 Kings 18, verse 19, he had actually called all the prophets of the Asherah and the Baal. We're not sure, but it appears that only the prophets of Baal were the ones who showed up. You know, sometimes when the, especially when the gods of fortune and happiness are, they just don't come to the sermons on giving. They don't come to the sermons on idolatry. It, it, you know, you run for cover on those sermons because you want to be able to hesitate. You don't see it as limping. You don't see it as hesitating. You, you say, I want to, I want to kind of have a, don't touch what's in my heart. They're, these things are very important to me and I don't know what I'd do without them. It says, now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I, I will not put a fire under it either. Then you call in the name of your God and I will call in the name of the Lord and, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. 
And all the people said that is a good idea. Now, just a sidebar note, I love that. And the God who responds in fire. Look, if you've not had an experience of the God of fire where he comes in and just lights you on fire and you just go, I don't know what it is, but my heart is exploding. I feel like I'm hot, I'm sweating, I'm, I'm having a real reaction. If there's not some place in your life where God had, feels like the impact, the impact of his presence has done that in your life, most of the people I meet that are all in have had an actual experience with God, not just an intellectual ascent. Because God comes in fire. I don't care whether you're charismatic or non-charismatic or, you know, whatever. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how you respond to it. I'm, we're not talking about any of that. I'm just saying if you haven't had the weightiness of who God is come into your heart and just absolutely destroy you in a way then maybe it's not the God of fire. Maybe you've tapped into religion, but not the God of fire. Just my little side script there. So it says, now I love this, by the way, because, and I could go, I, I think there's meaning, importance. I, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it and all this, but I don't have time to go into that. I've studied this in great detail through the years. But it says, so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God and put no fire under it. So, now, you understand, the Bible does not support the idea of mockery and being mean-spirited and everything else. But in this place, it's necessary because he's giving us an understanding that we need to have that same vigilance and that same mockery and that same idea of destruction as it relates to philosophies and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Not people that are enslaved by those ideas, but the ideas themselves. Are you with me? So I, 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 don't, I appreciate Elijah's tough kind of mocking spirit here as it relates to the need to destroy what's destroying the people and even the prophets themselves so then they took the ox which was given them and they and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying oh Baal answers can you get the picture I mean this is <laughs> oh Baal oh Baal answer us and then they nothing's coming and I start kind of dancing around you know, okay oh you know Baal come on Baal all right whoo come on Baal I mean I mean that's what's happening and Elijah's sitting back there going you guys are fools those are mere idols now remember what those represent for us today do your idols in your heart do the idols that want to arise in my heart do they do they ever fulfill can they ever light fire kind of an internal fire that never goes out in your soul. When I meet people that really know Jesus, there is a fire that takes them to their grave. An unrelenting, undisturbed, regardless of what the circumstances are in their life. It is an, a fire that cannot be quenched when God is in them. And so now we have this, and it's kind of like, answer us, answer us. But there was no voice. The idols in your heart can never ever, ever be a living and active voice and can't ever answer the deeper questions that you have about your life, ever. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. They posack, they, well, also, and they limped around. Look, when you're hesitating, it's the same word, hesitate, and you say, how in the Hebrew can that be the same word? Leaped and hesitate. It's this thing, when you're in between, we all know what this is like, this when I first started waiting tables, and I only did for about a few months when I got out of high school, my, uh, my uncle 
owned, it's called the old Steak and Ale, and they, and they originated in Dallas, I think, and they were, I think they were the first ones to really come up with the idea of the salad bar, and everyone said amen. And uh, so the Steak and Ale, and so he hired me, and I was a horrible, horrible waiter. Terrible. Everything about it. My table, I'd come, I'd start visiting with my tables. You, what they want in the restaurant business, you need to turn your tables, and my tables would stay around, and I'd sit there and talk to them, and I'd forget about the other table, and and, it, and then I'd come in, and I, I am not a multitasker. I am a horrible. I am all in on a thought. People ask me, what are we going to do next on the 24th about our presentation? I said, I'll think about it that week. I can't think about it now because I got the other. I am a terrible multi. Some of you are wonderful multitaskers, and I love you, and I need you in my life. Please stay with me. Hold me up. But I would come in, and I'd say, okay, you know, Mr. Bob and Nancy over here, they need, uh, they need some butter on table 12. And, you know, this guy's need this. And I would walk into the kitchen, and they always laughed because I'd walk into the kitchen, and they called it the Cranny 360. And I would walk into the kitchen, and I'd go. And, I'd, and then I'd leave without anything, and then I'd walk out. And it's like because I, I, I was at the bread or should I get the water? That guy needs his check. He's been waiting. And that guy needs a drink. And I don't even know what kind of drink. I didn't drink. And he ordered some kind of drink, and I didn't know what it was with I limped around. I, I couldn't make a decision. It was like I was limping through. I was terrible. Well, so will you be. And that's what was happening. They were limping about the altar that they had made. You don't go all in, you will limp through life. Once you get the taste of Jesus and don't follow him fully, can I just tell you, you will limp. You'll never have the joy you had in your sin before. Even though it was accompanied by pain, you'll never have the same joy again. You just won't. It just will not fulfill you. You might as well go ahead and push all in. Or go back to Egypt. I pray not one of us in here goes back to Egypt. But I've seen. I mean, I'm not the ultimate judge of people. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Observationally, it appears. I, I've known some people, and they said, look, it was better for us in Egypt. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. And said, call out with a loud voice, for he is God. Either he is occupied, where are your idols? Or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and began to cut themselves according to their custom. With swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. When midday was passed, they raved, notice the language, raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. No fire struck the altar. No fire. Where was their God? Where, where, where are your idols in the deepest time of distress? You will begin to rave and you will go mad. If your idols are sex, you will never get enough, especially the men. I'll tell you right now, your idol, your idol is sex. You will not get enough. If it's money, you'll never have enough. If it's your family, you may put so much pressure on your family. If it's your children that are your ultimate idol, ladies, I will tell you right now, you will, they will never live up to the pressure that you put on them if you try to deify your children. You'll crush them. You'll crush their spirit. It will not work. Don't do it. There will be no one to answer. And you may not literally cut yourselves, although many in our culture today cut, cut themselves. I think I told some of you, I was on an airplane once next to a young lady, and I just felt I needed to share Christ with her. And, and uh, 
she had kind of covered up and then it, somehow I got a little view and all up and down her arm, she was just scarred. It was just very similar to this. She was raving with something in her heart that needed to be displaced and replaced with Jesus. This is what happens, right? This is what happens. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. What you do first, first you repair Jesus in your heart. You, you re-erect the altar to the one true God. He's the only one that should be on the high place of your heart. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come and saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built. Now, but that, that just means he, the covenant people came around. It was a representative of the covenant people. So when you believe, you need to belong so there's always a, there's a picture of a covenant people alongside the believing part. Are you following me? He was setting up the, Jesus as the, pen, not the penultimate, but the ultimate. And then around him came the 12 stones. Why? Because when you believe, you need to belong. You've got to be part of a community that's going to be able to, well, help you when you're not a multitasker. And you know that you can get pretty tunnel vision. You need people around. You need the body. And so with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. I love the language here. I think there's all kinds of, you know, I could do a whole teaching on this. Seed's part of this. You know, that's the gospel, you know, the seed of the word. And the sower went out to sow. Why did he do that? It was just odd, right? Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. Of course, that's the cross, always a picture of the cross. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. What happened with the burnt offering of Jesus? You know, the, wor the water and blood flowed out of him when they pierced him in his side. Again, you have that picture over and over in Scripture. Don't think that the, the cross caught God off guard. It was always the plan. What does the word say? He was crucified. He was crucified before the foundations of the earth. And he says, now do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar and was filled the trench with water. So do you want to know how God will strike your life with fire experientially? All these things need to be in place. This is a beautiful picture, folks. Jesus has to be at the center. He's the sacrifice, not you. You don't sacrifice your life to get right with God. Jesus is the sacrifice. But the word's got to be there. It's got to be the Jesus. It's got to be filled with water. The trench has to be filled with the word. It's got to be seed. Seed's always an integral part. You have to receive the seed that'll grow fruit and the seed we could go on and on. Jesus used those agrarian terms all the time in his ministry. And then God strikes with fire. And at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Why? Because he was giving us a predictive picture of the cross. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know Answer me so that they may know. Strike this with fire so the people will never have to go back and go, I wonder if Christianity is the right religion. Has fire struck you? You will never have to ask that question again. Oh, Lord, that you have not turned your back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. What happened at Pentecost? It appeared that fire was on their heads. You remember the story? What's happening? They're drunk. It's the middle of the it's like 9 o'clock in the morning. These people are already drinking and they saw little brands of fire because fire fell 
Holy Spirit fell in their lives. That's God falling into your heart. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptize them. What is the Great Commission? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the fire from God. You shall receive the Holy Spirit. This is, again, another predictive prophecy. Awesome. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. That's what happened at the cross. And the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Now, some of you know this is genocide. This is, are they, if you're looking at this book, Old Testament, for moral guidelines all the time, you're just always going to be discouraged. And you're going to say, I don't want to read the Old Testament. Do you understand this is a template? Please, church. Do we understand this as a template? Yes. It's not about physical death. It's about taking those idols internally and taking those idols externally, speculations and everything that raises itself, and destroy them. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. Don't let one idol creep into your heart. Don't let one thought creep into your mind that's not thoroughly drenched in the water of the word. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Are we going to be a church that slays the idols of our culture? Are we going to be participating in the idolatry and then expect to go back in and cross and deliver people from the things that we yet have not been delivered from ourselves? This is a hard message. You know, Jeff, I mean, come on. I mean, we're, we were going to the zoo this afternoon. Is this a way to set people up for the zoo? There is no more liberating message than what's coming right now. This is liberating, my friends. So in closing, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 5. And the next week, I'm going to give you some very practical, not next week, because that's the 24th. Okay, Next week is huge for us. Do not miss the 24th. If you cannot be here because of of a fire or an earthquake or something. Live stream. If you can't live stream, we'll figure something out for you. But you'll want to be here next week. This is going to be a, is we're revealing a lot about the direction we're going over the next three or four or five years, God willing. So the week after, I'm going to give you some very practical steps of how we actually begin to unseat these idols. Very practical stuff. Not just high level, okay, I shouldn't feel that way. But I still do. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. So this is people who've come out of Egypt. Okay, you following me? If, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Don't get, don't get your heart caught up in the seen realm. Don't deify it. Don't make it ultimate. It's, think, put your mind where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. How do you practically do that? We're going to talk about that. Not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. What's the process of coming to Jesus and then getting to the build part? What is the becoming process? You can believe and then belong, but never become. The believing part is first. It's essential. Then you belong. Now you've got a community to come around you. The becoming, boy, that is tedious. That is so tedious. It's a bumpy ride. 
Do you understand that? It is a bumpy, bumpy landing. Okay? I mean, it'll, it'll wipe you out. If you, when you're, you know, coming down and you're, you're in that plane and you're, I have had some pretty bumpy landings recently. I, I hit one the other day that we were coming in. It hit so hard that it's one of those tailbone hurting things. You know, you're used to kind of a little bumpy landing and, and it just uh, crash. But I got to tell you, though it's tedious and though it's surgically being removed in the becoming process, it's essential for you to build. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God and when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Do you realize that? When Christ is revealed, you're going to be revealed with him in glory. Do you know, we have different ages represented in here. Maybe some 20s, 30s, you just ah, you know, it's so long, it's a long way off. Some of you may feel, you know, it's closer than it's ever been. <laughs> that should just grab your heart and you should be singing to the heavens. Therefore, because these things are true, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And then he lists essentially what's idolatry, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, this is where Paul brings us forward. And says, it's not about the Asherah. That was the goddess, you know, this Canaanite goddess of fortune and happiness. We're still worshiping the same gods. We have a tendency to, why? Because it's just natural. We don't have to think about it. It's just natural in our fallen state. Well, it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy or to have money. It has nothing to do with that. But don't make it ultimate. And, and, and if the Lord can't speak to you and, and, and affect your idols, just be cautious and, and listen to his voice. Your earthly body is dead. Consider your earthly body as dead. This stuff just amounts to idolatry. So, you know, where do you go with this? I, I want to close this in prayer and then I want you to... After I pray, I want you to stand to your feet and I want us to worship. And I want us to really sing out to the Lord. But this is a moment of reflection for us as a body. I want you to ask the Lord, do what I've been doing. And it's hard. It's, it's a scary prayer. But let's pr just, if you, you know, if you want, you can just, if you say, Lord, I, I, I want what Jeff just prayed. Or Lord, don't you dare, you know, do what Jeff just prayed. But if you... If you want to be part of this, the spirit of this prayer, let me just pray it on, on my behalf. And then if you want to buy into it, you just tell the Lord, I want to buy into that. Lord, I, I want to be all in with you, Jesus. This is Jeff Cranford coming to you, speaking to you right now, Lord. I want to be all in with you. And I know there are things that are drawing me back, that are holding me back from the fullness of engaging in your calling and in your mission. Lord, I can't go on, you know, I feel like I am in the land, but... Lord, I, I don't want these things to ever arise in my heart. Lord, would you reveal to me on a continuing basis in the grace and the love in which your spirit leads us, lovingly, kindly, would you continue to show me the idols that are in my heart that would anyway be terrifying that if I lost them, I want to be free. Lord, it says that we've died with you. If we've died with you, Lord, I want to be a dead man because a dead man doesn't, isn't too concerned about 
the game today or how he played. If you've got three months to live, you're not concerned about all that. You're thinking very differently. Lord, help us. Would you help me think like this today? Lord, because you're worth it. This is, this is what all of human history is about. So we want this. We want this in our lives as a church and as individuals, as a family. Do that great work of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand to our feet, close the worship song. And then for many of you, we'll see you at the zoo. If not, I'll see you next week. We love you.